please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is presented by the Space Camp Explorers Club, a new way to support the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp. Members of the Space Camp Explorers Club gain exclusive access to content, behind-the-scenes stories, and members-only swag. To learn more, visit SpaceCampExplorersClub.org. Seeing somebody step off a ladder on the lunar surface is <laughs> is going to be my. I mean, it's mind blowing. It and it's funny when you when you know growing being born in 1980, seeing videos of uh, of you know human beings walking on the moon. That is something that you know is so far in the past from a um, you know from a time point of view that it is effectively part of the historical record and not part of, and not a lived experience. So seeing a uh, you know a human being a you know a man a woman walking on the surface of the of the moon and you know and the Artemis program is going to take the uh, the first woman to the surface and seeing that happen is you know to me it's just going to be a, a mind blowing moment and to just be able to be to participate in it is is mind-blowing. Derek Hodgins is an aerospace engineer and member of the strategy and business development team for Lockheed Martin's lunar exploration campaigns. He served as the director of business development for human exploration at Northrop Grumman, as a spaceflight and technology lead at NASA, and was a flight controller for Space Shuttle Mission Control. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for I'm flying up to the stars I'm gonna dare to explore this time And I'll let you know what I find got you into space was this just when you were a kid you just always you just never grew out of the i want to be an astronaut phase we all go through yeah i mean really that's kind of what it, you know comes down to is it, it's interesting one you know somebody could say what what are the, the the childhood dreams you know professions that require a, a four-year degree and i mean really kind of the, the two major ones is really kind of astronaut and doctor <laughs> and and it's you know my, my daughter be one that wants to be a doctor but yeah, you, know, you, you sometimes just don't grow out of it. And I think our industry, you know, as somebody that, work, that works in the aerospace industry, is filled with people that just really never grew up. And uh, you know, with that respect, they grew up, you know, like, liking rockets from a uh, you know the most basic level and admiring astronauts and being amazed by space and just never growing out of it. Did you attend space camp? I did three uh, three times in the uh, in the nineties. I was. Geez, was it 13, 14, and, and 16 going through uh, the uh, Advanced Space Academy? It was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience uh, at, at that age I ne- that I never thought I would uh, I would have. Wow, three times! What what made yeah. you what made you keep going back? I'll tell you, it, it was funny when I was a kid and back in like the uh, you know the eighties, early nineties. There, were, you know, they were, you'd be watching like game shows, Nickelodeon, and it was one of the, one of the common prizes was was a trip to space camp. And it just and I was grew up always interested in the space program, so you know it was something one of those things that hey, you know that that's uh, it's it's far out there. It's not really something that is a as a normal thing. 
And my parents, you know, luckily for me, were very, very supportive in, uh, in my interests in, in cultivating, um, you know, cultivating the things I was interested in. Space was really at the, uh, at the top of that list. And, uh, you know, and in that provided me the opportunity to go down. And I think how much it resonated with me and was able to sort of take, uh, you know, the experience down there and, and see how, uh, you know, education applied to it. And I'll be the first to admit, I was not exactly the best student in the world, but seeing the, uh, the way that, um, you know, practical application of education into, um, you know, into that field, into a field I was very interested in, I think was very, very powerful. And they were very supportive of me uh, returning, uh, you know, two more times. It was kind of interesting in my family, there wasn't really much of a, uh, an engineering pedigree along the lines of, you know, aerospace or, or mechanical, or really kind of applicable to the, uh, to the space program. And I would have said even for myself that as somebody, my, my mother is a, uh, is a graphic designer and my, uh, uh, my father, who says he can't draw a stick figure with a ruler, but um, <laughs> you know, works auto, works in the auto industry in, in sales and is a numbers person. I've been kind of equally right-brained and left-brained, but I figured that I probably would be more along the lines of, um, you know, working in communications, working in, in on the business side of things, which is kind of where I ultimately ended up in the industry. But I'll tell you, I never thought that I would have some of the opportunities I've had to do. I never thought that I would... Um, you know, be able to uh, to work on some of the projects. I, I did feel, and what kind of really drew me to the uh, the aerospace uh, profession was one kind of seeing the full range of what the the things were beyond the whole being an astronaut kind of the, that that you know perception of a glamour role, and that's really something I saw. I really kind of going back to the first time I went down to space camp, and then you know from there being able to, you know, see the challenge as, as somebody that, you know, I never really kind of felt in, in a in a challenge environment when I was in, in school when I was younger. And being able to see that challenge and, and rise to it, I found very, um, very, very interesting. So there are other paths I thought that I probably would end, would end up taking before I ultimately took the path that I did. Where I was in grad school, was looking to uh, get an internship and was, you know, by, I'll say one thing my father kind of instilled in me is, is trying to uh, get creative with going after, uh, you know, opportunities. And I went down, I actually went online, found a list of every contractor that worked at NASA Goddard, knowing how competitive internships were for uh, on the NASA civil service side and called cold called every one of them and found out who's the right person I could talk to. And I finally got a gentleman online named Matt Opeka with uh, SGT Incorporated that worked at, uh, worked out of Goddard. And he said, I don't have a position for you. He goes, but I appreciate your, uh, your determination. And ultimately about two months later, I received a call and got a full-time offer. What'd you do there? I worked a systems engineering for a spacecraft uh, called GOES. It was uh, GOES N-O-N-P, Earth Science spacecraft, you know, weather monitoring uh, uh, hurricanes, all that. You want to see national weather maps on the on the news. So it was, it was an interesting, um, you know, first job getting, getting into a, a NASA science spacecraft. I never thought that I would have ended up there. It was a phenomenal uh, learning experience, and I was kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit as a <laughs> as a young engineer that had not finished their master's degree yet. Um, but, you know, just, you know, be, I, it was kind of a theme that I would find in my career kind of being the, uh, um, you know, trial by fire. I would say I've been blessed with some of the ways that things have turned out for me and, you know, things not of my own doing, but it may, whether it's the right place at the right time or, or right opportunities and, and, and capitalizing and probably a mix of the both. But 
when I was working on GOES, we were working the systems engineering on the spacecraft and and working through the uh, the development phase, and uh, that kind of fed into the mission operations. You know, how is how is the spacecraft going to be operated and, and um, checked out before it's handed over? And it's a spacecraft that's uh, built by NASA Goddard, but then handed over to the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And we worked, our responsibility was to take it through uh, checkout. So once it's launched, it's checked out on orbit and they would be handed over. And as we worked, you know, the systems engineering and seeing that flow into the mission operations of it and being a part of the, uh, um, you know, training of flight controllers, being part of uh, working, you know, overnight shifts. And, and in that environment, I, I found that absolutely fascinating. I think I really resonated on it. And, and for the blessing that kind of came into it was getting a chance as a systems engineer to work across disciplines uh, was was very, very uh, impactful on me and opened up an opportunity to go down to NASA Johnson down in Houston and work mission control for the uh, for the space shuttle and work down there. I had a chance to be a part of uh, eight missions um, with the instrumentation and communications group. And just uh, Inco, and just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. That you know, one of those things I never thought I would get a chance to uh, to do. And I'll say that the interesting anecdote of it was um, when I first got to space camp. I, you know, as we did kind of missions and simulations uh, down there, um, you know, when my when I went in 1993, having the opportunity to be in the shuttle was kind of what you wanted. And my first job was actually in mission control. And I was so disappointed to to not be uh, in the shuttle, and then ultimately, um, how many years later, uh, that's that be how I would show up to the uh, spatial program. Train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Exclusive family weekend programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle, and is based on both the past and the future of space exploration. Pilot the space shuttle and attempt to land safely with the museum shuttle experience. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. coming out of undergraduate uh, at Syracuse and it was I believe it was a January time frame and we were just a few months short of graduation I was looking at the job market as far as where where, where could I go with a NASA I was I was interested in going down to NASA Langley uh, for a position that was consistent with some of the work I'd done at, at Syracuse and with Columbia happened it obviously created a lot of uncertainty um, it's somebody that was you know laser focused on on going to NASA uh, you know, seeing, not knowing how that impacts it, kind of revectored me towards uh, towards graduate school. Uh, ultimately, uh, getting down to uh, to Houston and and getting into uh, to, to mission control after Columbia was was kind of a sobering experience as we went through our um, you know, flight operations training academy. The the new flight controllers as they show up, a kind of a, a two to three day kind of crash course introduction. And and one part one of the parts of that being, uh, I, I kind of always described it as kind of scared straight is you know you sit there and you look at uh, you know people that sit in in mission control and that work mission operations for uh, for any human spaceflight mission but knowing the um the gravity of the responsibility as far as you know the the, the human lives are on the other end and the impact that mistakes can uh, can happen i mean it flows all the way back to 
uh, you know, uh, Gene Kranz would say on, on Apollo 13 with failure is not an option, but being coming in at that time, right after uh, Columbia, just what was about two years later, uh, was was very, very um, uh, interesting. And also it, it definitely gave you a sense of, of knowing the responsibility. There was no complacency in, in the job and in the position. And I'll tell you that one thing that was really amazing uh, was seeing the way that everybody worked together. And that's something obviously that dates back to decades, uh, but in, in that culture, but seeing that how the, the focus and the and how people understood their the responsibility that went along with the uh, with the position was um, you know w- was fascinating and it's something something that's hard to convey. Why did you stop being a flight controller? I did have a, you know a long range interest in getting over onto the uh, the, the policy side of the space program. I, I did have an interest in. Uh, moving forward and looking at getting into sort of the business development side of the industry as is kind of an ultimate goal, you know, years down the road. But getting, uh, seeing the shuttle program winding to an end and getting an opportunity to go to NASA headquarters uh, was really kind of what I was what I was looking for as the next step in my career, trying to be kind of deliberate with with steps. I didn't want to be stay in engineering too long to the point of of, of being pigeonholed, um, and I felt like. It was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to uh, to do what I did, and it would, but it was time to uh, uh, you know get out while the getting was good, with obviously uh, changes coming down the line with the, uh, the shuttle program coming to an end. But it was a very interesting time. As somebody that's interested not only in space but also has has had an interest in politics, um, you know, as I've uh, as I've grown up, um, to be able to bring those two things together was was definitely something I was really interested in doing. And, uh, you know, it was just, like I said, a wonderful opportunity to be part of the formulation of the programs that have gone into, you know, commercial crew, which is now flying and what in the, uh, you know, the eventual the SLS and Orion, um, you know, programs now, which uh, were part of the exploration systems development and now the uh, effectively the Artemis program as a whole. When I worked the uh, the support for the Augustine Commission and the formulation of the new uh, you know, the new human spaceflight program for the uh, the administration the administration that showed up in two thousand nine, uh, I had a chance to have a you know, phenomenal mentor uh, named uh, uh, Terry Reese, and Terry, uh, I mean you talk about you know legit uh, you know the steely eyed missile man as they would say going back to Apollo. Um, you know, if you watch the movie Apollo thirteen, you know one of those characters walk, walking around that. To, you know that set uh, was portraying him. Uh, he worked the uh, Apollo 13 emergency kit that was on board. Had worked uh, um, EVA uh, gloves for the for the lunar surface. Anyway, just I mean, a, a true um, you know phenomenal mentor on the technical side, given his experience in dating back all the way to Apollo, and just just a wonderful man to to learn from. Um, he unfortunately had passed in uh, 2011, uh, about uh, you know. We'd been, I'd been working for about a little over two years, and that was kind of a you know stepping in. I really didn't see myself as a you know stepping into to his role. I mean, this was somebody that was very very senior. Had served as a uh, as a vice president in business development at Lockheed Martin, and you know a phenomenal experience to the point where the reason that he was in that position and enjoyed what he did uh, because it gave it let him have a finger on the uh, the pulse of the uh, of the US space program and I think as opposed to uh, to retirement that's something that he uh, legitimately enjoyed but this is somebody that could that could call up and get the head of ESA on the phone um, or he would just you know I'd walk into his office and you know, who you talk to and he'd, and he'd say John Young like I mean who who does that right. um, 
So when he when he had passed, and um, you know, I sort of stepped into his role, kind of just trying to uh, you know act in it. And again, he kind of took it to a different level with than what anything I could bring. But being able to sort of um, you know learn from him, and then be again thrown into that fire of uh, you know filling the shoes of somebody who had massive massive shoes to fill. Uh, you know, ultimately uh, did a lot for my career, and I'm very, very thankful for for learning from him in, in doing that because it gave me sort of more of the front row seat, more of the responsibility. And we we were working on oversight of the uh, human spaceflight program's commercial crew. We're working on the acquisition for how the commercial crew program would come together, uh, formulation of the ex of the uh, space launch system and and Orion programs. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, as I said, feeding into the uh, program planning that, that has become Artemis. And that uh, was a, uh, you know, another wonderful opportunity. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm very, very thankful for, uh, um, for Terry Reese and being able to provide me the mentorship uh, to enable that. In 2017, you left NASA and went to Northrop Grumman, uh, where you were the director of business development uh, for human exploration. Is, was that shift kind of motivated to toward being a little closer to the the actual space flight since uh, you know as it commercialized? Yeah, I, I'd say that I you know I've always said when when I was on the NASA side, I would uh, you always talked about how it was important to have experience at on at the NASA centers if you know for those that were at headquarters to be able to provide kind of you know what happens in DC. Um, you know, can sometimes not have an understanding of what's happening at the centers and, and vice versa for, uh, for for that matter. Right. But it also goes along with the extension between NASA and industry. And I was always interested in getting into the business development side of things. I've always say from a, from a personality point of view and anybody that's met me has effectively met my father and vice versa, that, uh, you know, as somebody that comes from a, you know, a lineage of him who worked, it works in business development, works in sales and, uh, you know, as I was asked in my interview, my first interview with uh, Orbital ATK before it was acquired by Northrop, uh, you know, why do you think that you can do this job? And it was, well, you know, my, my father's been in business development and he's been doing it successfully for, you know, a couple decades and I'm just like him, so I probably can do the same. But <laughs> being able to, I saw the things on the NASA side that I wish that we get from industry and being able to, you know, I look at it as well, you know, I have these lessons I can take industry uh, knowledge, obviously, of NASA, which is attractive to, um, um, you know, to, to Orbital ATK. Uh, but going over and sort of getting into the the industry, the how do you win things? How do you win the things that become these programs? You know, I'd worked on kind of planning them, but, you know, how do you win them? How do you turn those programs into, you know, bring them all the way to, uh, you know, delivery on orbit to, to launch uh, was something I was really, really interested in doing and kind of marrying the perspective between, uh, you know, or taking the NASA perspective to the industry side, kind of marrying it with, how do you uh, do things on a business development side with you know this industry that I've uh, obviously uh, care and passionate about and uh, really have enjoyed working in? You, you did a lot of, of work with uh, the, the Cygnus program. What was interesting was that the Cygnus program was uh, was being worked when I had originally showed up at NASA headquarters to provide a cargo resupply to the International Space Station. We were. We were in on uh, orbital, or was it uh, OA eight or nine? So there'd been about uh, you know seven or eight flights already of the uh, of the Cygnus spacecraft to provide those cargo services to the to the space station, 
And, and again, it was it was interesting to see how you know this model was uh, you know being brought into industry after obviously working out on the on the NASA headquarters side of things. And we really worked. And one of the things I really tried to do is I was you know leading the um, you know the human space exploration uh, you know business development efforts um, you know during my later time at, at Northrop Grumman was what can we do to expand this vehicle? What can we do to evolve this vehicle? What's the adaptability between uh, Cygnus and being able to accomplish, you know, other needs that NASA has, again, sort of along those lines and embracing this, you know, new kind of commercial uh, mentality. Uh, how do you repurpose, um, you know, a Cygnus? And, and it really kind of fed into what you're seeing now in the Artemis program, uh, the halo module for the, uh, for the new gateway uh, station for around the moon, this small space station for around the moon, uh, the gateway station being comprised in its first, uh, I guess, um, you know, configuration as its power and propulsion element, as well as uh, what we call Halo, the habitation and logistics outpost, and that uh, minimal habitation module, that sort of safe haven, that uh, crew staging point between um, when the Orion spacecraft uh, goes to Gateway and at waypoint to the lunar surface, and ultimately, as it's envisioned, Gateway is a waypoint to Mars, that that halo module in and of itself is a uh, evolution is derived uh, from Cygnus. So seeing the way that a cargo vehicle for low Earth orbit, a commercial cargo vehicle for low Earth orbit, is evolved into uh, the first module to support NASA's uh, deep space uh, exploration um, is uh, very, very interesting. Now you're working on the Artemis program. Artemis is about uh, not just returning to the lunar surface, but creating a sustainable lunar surface enterprise that it's you know ultimately evolving towards the you know, the ultimate destination of Mars and, and taking humans to Mars and it's using the Moon as a uh, as a test bed for the technologies that it's going to take to get to Mars. And and you would say getting to Mars is, is exponentially more complex than the moon. The moon is three to four days away and a trip to Mars is, is nine months. And uh, when you start talking about going to the moon, it, it's taking advantage of the resources that are on the surface. Um, you know, is there is there ice that can be turned into uh, fuel for, um, you know, for your rocket for getting off the surface? You're, uh, ascent vehicle is there um you know how do you deal with uh you know, living in extreme environments uh what is the infrastructure you need that to be able to support that you know with pop things like power uh, things like um you know how do you land cargo how do you pre-position things and so the artemis program is really kind of taking apollo and then building upon it into what how is it that humans are going to be able to live long duration on other planetary bodies and, and on the science side of things, and it's not just the human part, but the robotic part of it too, and being able to do the do the science, be able to do the investigations that you know flow from the those natural questions as far as our place in the uh, in the solar system, in the universe, and in the environment we live. And obviously, you know, the moon is something that people have looked up looked up to for uh, for millennia. So being able to continue those robotic and, and human scientific uh, endeavors and the value that you get from a human being on the ground uh, sampling and being able to, uh, to execute experiments is, is phenomenal. Uh, having that, having the practical uh, implications, practical experience for living off uh, you know, that other planetary body. And then as well, the, we talk about benefits here to life on Earth is 
the technologies that come out of uh, in you know reaching ambitious goals, and then we saw it under Apollo, you see other things like Shuttle too. Uh, those technologies be directly benefiting life on Earth, and uh, NASA's history is filled with technologies such as you, know, you think about the um, uh, blood pumps for the artificial heart being uh, having you know coming effectively out of the research for the spatial main engines fuel pumps. Right, Velcro. Um, Velcro is another big one. Exactly. CAT scans, MRIs, and, and being able to scratch resistant lenses. And, right. you know, so there's a, a number of, of wide ranging benefits that, you know, go flow from the science to into the technology to into, you know, pushing human boundaries further that, that Artemis is, uh, you know, is really being tasked with. As the strategy and business development person for all of these lunar exploration campaigns, can you tell a little bit about what it is that you do? in this new paradigm of, of commercial approaches and taking those commercial approaches now into, into deep space, um, you know, as low Earth orbit and, and, you know, things like the space station are looked to be, you know, eventually replaced by commercial destinations. And as, you know, the commercial industry sort of, um, you know, takes over the NASA's role in low Earth orbit or complements NASA's role in low Earth orbit, that to be able to take those type of approaches to deep space, as well as being able to provide the surface infrastructure, uh, the transportation, the uh, all of the systems to be able to support NASA exploration on the way to Moon and, you know, ultimately Mars, is you know is what we're looking to do. As far as you know, obviously there's the you know the business aspect for um, you know bringing business into uh, to my employer at Lockheed Martin, um, but also trying to looking to be to look forward on the things that we can do to be able to uh, be innovative in what, you know, the systems that we can bring to bear to enable Artemis as a, uh, you know, capable and as a sustainable enterprise, as well as being able to kind of push the boundaries for what uh, can be offered to NASA. Um, you know, this, it, everything has to be mutually beneficial. I mean, that's how uh, you build relationships. And, uh, you know, from my point of view as a, as a Lockheed Martin employee, it's being able to find those those relationships, being able to find those uh, solutions that benefit both uh, both NASA and, uh, and and Lockheed Martin, and in, uh, in, in really you think about it in the aerospace industry, um, you know we're all advancing towards the same goals in in Artemis, and finding and finding those things that are complementary to uh, you know lunar surface architecture. So I spent a lot of uh, time focusing on. Uh, what are the enabling systems? And in along with it, what is the enabling ways of doing business? All new water experiences in the underwater astronaut tank at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center allow you to experience what it's like to swim in a coral reef, float in outer space, and fly with the dragons in the DIVR plus water excursion. Combining a waterproof virtual reality headset with the snorkel system, you can explore new depths right from the comfort of our heated scuba tank. Museum admission is required, and advanced ticket purchase is encouraged to reserve your time for participants ages 7 and up. Visit rocketcenter.com today for more information. Do you still wish you could have went up? It, it's hard to say that you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, take the take the chance. I can tell you though that I as my career's evolved, I've you know gone down this other path you know really deliberately and and I used to 
would still send in an application every time NASA had put out a uh, put out a call. I always <laughs> said I just want I just wanted an interview. I didn't want anything more. I just wanted to know that my resume was good enough that good enough that somebody didn't throw it aside immediately. And unfortunately, I haven't re- attained that level yet. But <laughs> I have reached the point where I um, you know I don't apply anymore, and it's not because of I don't think I get selected anymore. It reached the point where things in life, you know, having a family. Um, you know, having responsibilities here, having other things that I enjoy, enjoying my career, you know, and the people I work with now that, you know, what, I'm happy with where things are. I don't feel like there's anything missing as a result of, uh, of not doing that. I would say that the best piece of advice I could give somebody is just is be creative. If you want something, go and, you know, do everything you can. I can't say if you want something, go and get it because it's not necessarily that simple. Um but go and do everything and get creative and just realize that the worst somebody can say to you is no. Going through it, and, and, and I see it, I mean, I'll, and I gotta give, you know, if my, if my father happens to uh, happens to listen to this, um, all the credit to him in this and, and things that he instilled as far as, uh, you know, things I've done in my career. Um, you know, I uh, don't like admitting it, when I going into grad, graduate school, I didn't have the grades to get into a school at the University of Michigan and being able to go and to be able to, you know, um, you know, go up there, uh, be able to uh, create an opportunity uh, for myself, an opportunity to prove myself. Um, you know that. You know, as I as I mentioned, I'm you know cold calling to uh, for my first job at, at NASA Goddard. It, it's just those those simple things, and, and you also never know um, who's going to be a guardian angel that you may meet along the way. Uh, that is going to be somebody that's going to be foundational for you as a mentor or as a as an advisor or as a, as a champion um but being able to look at uh you know and, and do everything in your power to not let things that otherwise would seem to be limits be those limits and then finding the people in your career um that are going to you know that are like-minded and can be um you know champions uh for you um you know is very very important and then the last thing i'll say is that you know ultimately being those people for for the next generation um you know is, is very very important they we have a a generation that's coming up and these will be the first people that will that will walk on mars and they're going to do things that uh, that far exceed anything that uh, that that i may be working on uh, right now and uh, you know they need those same champions and they also need the same people that are willing to uh, go out on a limb and let them prove themselves and take chances on them. And, and like I said, I've been very fortunate with, um, with that being afforded to me. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time. And I'll 